Hello, beautiful soul. What a privilege and honor to be with you today. I hope that wherever you are on this planet, you're doing fantastic, and I am sending you all of my love, energy, and good vibes through the airwaves. We have an absolutely outstanding episode of the show for you today. We have none other than Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. back on the podcast. We are talking about the history and teachings of the Toltec path of spirituality. This is a fantastic episode. Um, It didn't go as linearly as I thought. We actually talked a lot more about uh, Toltec history, which um, I didn't expect, but I really love it because I love ancient wisdom, ancient civilizations, ancient spirituality. So this is a fantastic episode and we really dive deep. We talk about uh, what is the Toltec path, um, how Don Miguel's first teachings were from his grandmother as he translated them. So he really has an old lineage of this uh, knowledge. We talk about the Olmecs, when Teotihuacan was built. We talk about um, the history of Quetzalcoatl. We talk about uh, learning from the elders of the world, experiencing an awakening moment, the four agreements versus the four conditions, and so much more. This is an absolutely tremendous episode. I know you're going to enjoy it. Um, If you do like it, please spread the word by sharing the YouTube video. Yes, we have a YouTube channel. Um, Share uh, on Facebook. Take a screenshot. Share on Instagram. I love knowing where you guys are listening. And any feedback, I love hearing from you guys. Any questions, concerns, comments, please hit me up on Instagram or Facebook. Facebook. Love hearing from you guys. Um, You can also support on Patreon. Thank you so much to all my patrons. There's now tiers with exclusive uh, members content and things like that. So I'm doing that for 2020 and have some cool stuff coming out and some stuff in there as well. But the best thing that you can do is one kind act. If you want to support the show, do one kind act wherever you are in the world. Uh, pay it forward. Let somebody in, in traffic say a, a nice word to somebody. Write a friend you haven't talked to in a while. Let them know you appreciate them. Just do one actual action of kindness today if you want to support the show. Uh, you can also leave a review in iTunes. I love it uh, when you guys do that. It helps so much from rankings and getting the word out there. And this one is from Baron Funkhauser. So thanks, man. It says, Matt's show rises above the rest. Matt's impeccable discernment for real truth and passion for solutions makes this show truly stand out from many of the more quote-unquote alternative podcasts out there. Love Matt and everything he does. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that and taking the time to do that really helps tremendously. For those of you guys who want to dive deeper, the Mastermind Body and Spirit Academy is now open and it is full now of this, the, the beta version, the very first ever 21-day challenge which is turned into the soul compass course it's some of the lessons that i give um, people that i coach and and also when people are trying to set up on the new year and things like that how to get really clear in their direction so the beta version 21 lessons in self-mastery spirituality uh navigating life from your heart and soul and not from your head letting your head solve the the uh, make the solutions for what you really want so you're on the path you're walking that path and you're really knowing that you're walking that path and you're doing the things that matter most and you're not being led by your head by fear and this is the best uh, training and stuff that I know of the best tips that are simple applicable and you can use right away to massively improve your direction your mindset your tenacity your focus and that's over at the mastermind body and spirit academy when you become a member member you automatically get access to that course I think I'll sell it as a standalone for like 100 or 200 bucks or something it is amazing and is free for all members so go to uh click the academy and i would love 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 to have you in there and you can let me know what it is that you want as a member and i will make it there are new programs and online courses coming out all of 2020 that is what i'm focusing on most i did five years of the podcast just focusing on making as many episodes as i can and now i'm going to still do some podcasts but i'm going to focus on creating more content more books more online stuff so be looking forward to that um, for those of you guys who want one-on-one coaching just go to mattbelair.com forward slash coaching working with some incredible people now and if i can serve and support help you go from career to mission help you go from i'm not sure what i want to do but i want to live a life of passion fulfillment and contribution if that's who you are you want to go from career to purpose or you want to really line up um, and live an extraordinary life by your own terms hit me up mattbelair.com forward slash coaching 
All right, that wraps it up. I was talking quickly. I have nothing but appreciation for you being here. Let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we rock into this amazing episode. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing for a moment. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath. And now just let it out slowly, filling every cell, every muscle, and every fiber of your being with joy, peace, contentment, inspiration, connection, worthiness, and ready to get into this amazing episode with Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. At the age of 14, today's guest apprenticed under his father, Don Miguel Sr., and his grandmother, Madre Sarita. From that early age, he was called upon to translate Madre Sarita's prayers, lectures, and workshops from Spanish into English. In this way, through constant repetition and review, he learned the content of her teachings in both languages. He is the author of the books, The Five Levels of Attachment, Living a Life of Awareness, The Mastery of Self, and the Don Miguel Ruiz's Little Book of Wisdom. He also co-authored the book, The Seven Secrets to Healthy, Happy Relationships with his friend, Heather Ash Amara. After decades of training, he was finally ready to share everything he had learned. As a Nagual, he now helps other, others discover optimal physical and spiritual health so that they may achieve their own personal freedom Welcome back to the show, Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. Hey, Matt. Thanks so for having me on your show again. It's, it's such an honor to be back on the show. Yeah. Well, I was saying at the beginning, it's, it's a special privilege to have you on. I was saying that you were kind of the first guest that made the podcast a real thing. I didn't know what I was doing. Episode one was uh, with my friend and, and I didn't have any guests, so I didn't know if anyone's going to say yes, but you did say yes. And I can thank you so much for that. And it's a pleasure to see you again and speak with you again. Oh, it's my honor to, once again to to be here and see how much you've grown since, since then. You know, in the podcast and everything you've created, it's congratulations to you. It's it's you know we we grow through the experiences and learning from our errors and getting up and as you probably already figured out, like it's every time we do a show or do something, like we're like, all right, how did that work? Did that not work? How can I solve that? And also, just going those little things like that, it gets better and better and better to the point you're like. Man, you're a pro. <laughs> I know. I'm getting a little bit better. I actually, I saw like uh, episode 50 and I would introduce people very uh, quietly. There's no enthusiasm. So I'm learning nuances of being a host. Um, but yeah, I think with, with doing anything, you get better. And it's been great to continue to watch your work too, because what I've noticed in being in this space for a long time is seeing people who commit to a path, whatever that is. And I think if they commit to a path that they're passionate about, that they're inspired about, it's going to evolve over time, but it really does require that commitment. And mm -hmm. interestingly enough, you come from a lineage of uh, spiritual teachings, the Toltec, and mm -hmm. I can't even imagine what it would be like for you as a kid tran translating your grandmother's teachings into mm -hmm. Spanish and English. So I would imagine that your understanding, even just between the la uh, languages and what that means and the depth of information that you would get and having to interpret that to then move forward and apply these teachings your whole life and now being a father um, of two, you know, getting into teenage years, uh, teaching and lecturing and also growing. So there's a ton of wisdom there. Do you want to speak a little bit about that lineage and how you just first started getting into this? Well, sure. Well, I started out of love. I love my grandmother and I grew up my father. It, it was just part of the, the life family. I, I, the blessing I had growing up is that I lived in the same house as my grandma. You know, that's one of the things that I'm, in my mom's house, my grandma Leonardo was there and I learned a lot from her. And on my father's side, we had my grandma Sarita and I learned a lot from her. So growing up, my grandma Sarita was always the spiritual figurehead of the family. And even though she passed away 10 years ago, she still the, the figurehead, spiritual lead head of the family, you know, even though she's not here with us physically, she's here with us in every aspect we have. I, I apprenticed with her to help her, you know, at, 
she was in her late 70s early 80s and i was i i knew the language she didn't know how to speak english she only spoke spanish so the way she taught me how to meditate for example was through translation so at first it would take me a long time to figure out how to get it because she would at first she would go slow give me pause then when i finished saying it she would say her thing so it was a nice little rhythm a little ping pong going back and forth but once she hit her stride and you know when we get inspired all of a sudden we start going a little faster a little faster then we forget that we even have someone interpreting for us and she just kept going and i uh, the faster she would go the harder it would be to follow her because the cue of everything i heard just kept growing and growing to the point where all my attention was trying to remember this cue of things she had said. So I translated the cue, and by the time I finished, she's just miles away. She's she's further down. So at that point, I'm like, "What did she say? I can't I, I can't really stop her." She says, "Grandma, can you repeat what you said?" It's 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 it's, it's she's got a stage. She's got a group. It's just it's there. So I just cut my losses and start translating where I picked off, which means that there was huge gaps between spaces of translation. You know, I feel bad for the people who went through this, but that's what happened. And as time progressed, the gap narrowed, but it never really closed. So one day, a couple, a year or two into my apprenticeship, around 15 or 16, my grandmother comes up to me and she said, all right, have you figured already why you're having so much difficulty translating for me? And I said, Grandma, you're going too fast. You're not giving me enough time. You need to slow down. That way I can translate it and get it right because not all words translate as is. You have to put it just right. I, I just wanted to get it right. That's, that's what I wanted. She heard me. And when I finished saying that, she said, Miguel, are you using knowledge or is knowledge using you? That was her question. At the time, I had no idea what that meant. She said, well, here's what's happening, Miguel. You start out listening to what I say, but eventually you don't give me, you're not listening to me. Eventually you start listening to your own voice inside your own head. You're listening to your version of what I'm saying, and you're no longer listening, which means you're not translating what I'm saying. You're translating what you know. At that point, you're not present, you're not listening, you, your attention somewhere else. And that's why you're having so much trouble trying to figure it out. So here's what I want you to do, she'd say. I want the voice that's inside your mind talking to be my voice, not your voice. Be my voice. You know English, you know Spanish. You know what you're talking about. Have confidence in yourself to say it. You hear my voice in Spanish, but when you open your mouth to say it, it'll be in English. Because you already know the words. All you have to do is listen. Pay attention. So, all right. That required me to learn how to focus my attention on her. So I first start by eliminating distractions. And the first thing I eliminate is sight. So I close my eyes. That way I'm not tempted to pay attention to all the people who are in the room or the persons in front of me or whatever. I learn not to give in to the temptation of hearing a noise and looking over to see what it was to learn not to open my eyes and listen to her. Mind you, I got a little better, you know, like I, I, I listened to her, but the next distraction was my body, the itch of my nose, the uncomfortable things of my legs and things like that. So I learned not to give into the temptation to give my attention to not only the space around me, the sounds around me, but also my body. With time, I was able not to give in to those temptations. But I still wasn't catching up to her. So the next level of 
a hurdle to not be distracted was not to give in to the temptations of listening what's inside my mind, which is my thoughts. Did I leave the gas open? Where did I put my wallet? What is my girlfriend doing? Things like that. Don't give in to the temptation to give your attention to my own thoughts, to my own body, and to the space around me. Little by little, I got to the point where I was able to talk at the same time as my grandma. She would say two or three letters of a word, and I would translate it. There we were, two people talking at the same time, she in Spanish and I in English, talking. I was closing my eyes. I gave all my listening to her voice, and I was talking that way. This is the way my grandmother taught me to meditate, to focus my attention on something. You know, like the, the, the powerful thing about the um is that it hooks all your attention and it goes straight to that point. Um it's a very powerful thing. So whatever you give your attention to controls your life, controls your choices, controls how you perceive the world and life and the dream. This is little by little, my grandmother's little exercises had a point to teach me not only to have discipline, but to learn to meditate, to a certain way, do whatever else she was doing, you know, in the sense of like, what's the word? Uh, channeling work, her voice, of course. But it's the way she taught me how to be completely present. And we did that for 10 years. So by the time my apprenticeship had ended, she had taught me about faith. The words of her prayers, the meaning of the words she said, were nothing compared to the intent that gives them power, which is the force that gives life to this body. I'm not this body. I'm not this mind. I'm the force that gives both them life, which means I am the whole. My body exists because I'm here to give it life. My mind exists because I'm here to give it life. My love exists because I'm here to manifest it, just like every emotion I have. I am the source of everything that I express. Emotions, thoughts, beliefs, ideas, intent love the faith in myself to be able to do it was exactly what she was teaching me she was a faith healer and to have faith is to believe in something 100 percent if you put your faith in something outside of you then you're always going to fight for it you're always going to defend it you're always going to protect it which means you're always at war because life will always change it. It always morphs. It never stays the same. But, it put, but if you put your faith in that intent that animates your life, that animates your body, that animates your, your mind, then you're the constant in every point of your life. You know you can do it. That confidence in yourself goes a long way. And that's what she taught me. That's the essence of it. She taught me that the reason why OM has power is because I'm able to say OM. And that's what gives it power. That's amazing. Thanks for sharing all that. The first thing that I was reminded of was when I was, um, I met Clifford Mahuti a couple of years ago, but then I watched him speak in Sedona and he's a Zuni elder and has some of the spiritual teachings from his lineage. And him and David Lombear, which is another Native American elder would speak. And when David would speak or other people were speaking, I thought Clifford was asleep. He would go really small. He's a small person in general, but he go really small. And he's kind of got like, kind of big ears and he would just kind of close his eyes. I thought he was sleeping, but what he was actually doing was listening with all of his might. Like, you know, when you talk about closing your eyes, you were in a scenario where you were forced to do that. 
and go to a whole nother level you wouldn't even think is possible. And, you know, you get these kind of mastery teachings at a very young age and then apply them as you navigate through your life where a lot of people won't ever reach that stage. And that's when I had seen that, like listening on a whole nother level, like listening almost with your whole entire being and what you're translating and learning from your grandmother, I can imagine is amazing. And um, just, you know, grandmother's wisdom alone from living a life and being a spiritual teacher and, and living all those years and having all those experiences is just a really beautiful thing um, to learn from. Do you have a favorite prayer that she said or one that stuck out to you? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass us. Deliver us from temptation. Lead us not into temptation and deliver. Oh, man. I know it in Spanish, in English. Padre nuestro que estás en el cielo, santificado sea tu nombre. Venga su reino. Haz su voluntad, así en la tierra como en el cielo. Danos hoy el pan de cada día y perdona nuestras ofensas, así como nosotros perdonamos a todos los que nos ofenden. No nos dejes caer en tentación y líbranos de todo mal. Amén. And is there a reason? Yeah, go ahead. And the other one that she loves is, What a heyday! What a heyday! Oh, a heyday! Oh, a heyday! She loved that. It's 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 a uh, it's not Toltec. It's 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 a it's a Northern American Native American tribe song, but it's just powerful. It's beautiful. My grandmother just loved loved chanting it. Do you know what that one means? No, I just oh. remember her voice. Oh, that's awesome. And is there a reason why you like uh, the first prayer the most? Because when I hear it, I think of just like a traditional Catholic church. And I think when people hear that, like there's so many different levels of interpretation. And one of the examples I've used on the podcast is like, you know, there are so many different religions you could choose from. Um, there's so many different martial arts. This is how I kind of explain it, martial arts teachers. But just because if I'm teaching boxing or another person's teaching boxing, you may get a very different perspective, whether it's like me teaching you or Bruce Lee teaching you or Mike Tyson teaching you or a person who has a totally different background and so for you you know is there like an underlying message or feeling that you really enjoy from that prayer or like an understanding well, that you take well first you're correct in the sense that everyone's going to have a totally interpretation of it because we're 7.5 billion human beings living in life and all of us will interpret it in our own unique way so it'll mean something different to all of us from beautiful to historical and all that kind of stuff that it'll conjure up the beauty, the darkness, and all that kind of thing, the whole yin and yang. But the reason why that's my favorite uh, prayer that she would say is that that was always her opening prayer. She had so many, many others. But that prayer, our, our, our Father, the Lord's Prayer, what it meant to her was her very first expression of loving life, which is loving God. We always remember that first step we took towards loving a higher self, a higher being, whatever it is you want to call it. Everyone's going to be different. We are conquered people. You know, we are uh, a mixture, we're mestizos. We are both the, the Mesoamerican and European. We have the Catholic and the, uh, the Nahuatl, uh, a perfect example of that is La Virgen de Guadalupe. La Virgen de Guadalupe is the perfect combination of Mother Mary and an Aztec goddess named Tonantzin. Tonantzin is the mother goddess in the, in the Mesoamerican tradition. Tonantzin, the temple, the Basilica Guadalupe, is situated in the same hill, or you can say on top of the temple that belonged to Tonantzin. So when we say Virgen Guadalupe, we're talking about Tonantzin, an Aztec goddess. From that point of view, our Lord's Prayer expresses exactly that mixture of, of worlds, a European and a Mesoamerican that came together. 
500 and plus years of mixture. In the example of, Tonatz, of Tonatzin of La Virgen de Guadalupe, the old Mexican traditions were translated into a Catholic world. It's a, a lot of the saints around the world who are Catholic saints had their native name, you know, St. Patrick was named something different before the Catholic uh, canonization of it and many other saints across the world. And Mexico happened to be Tonatzin, who is now the Virgen de Guadalupe, which means behind a lot of the symbols in Catholicism in Mexico, there lies the symbols of the old ancient ways. And that's the layering. A lot of the saints, a lot of the prayers that existed pre-Columbian are now commingled, fused with the Catholic tradition. And of course, when you go to Mexico, there are people who practice it straight as it was when it came from Spain. But there are many, many little towns, little places, many places, and Juanacatlan was one of them. That's where my grandmother comes from. That fused them. And the people who taught the next generation use those Catholic symbols because one, it won't get you into the Holy Inquisition. It won't get you in trouble. But you're able to continue the tradition. With the Lord's Prayer, it's a beautiful, beautiful prayer that encompasses the whole thing. Yes, there is the dark, ugly history of colonialism, but there's also the beautiful aspect that a culture will always find a way to express itself. And in that expression, there's a union that allows us to bridge a divide and find a common ground, which is a love for the big grand spirit, nature, the mother, life. We are human beings putting into words the experience we have, which is a communion with divinity. If I was in Vietnam, it'll have the colors and the symbols of that beautiful land which if I say it in India, it will have the, the symbols and the, and, the, and the language and the, and, the, and the environment of that beautiful land. If I say it in the Middle East, if I say it in Africa, if I say it in Europe, if I say it in Northern Asia, if I see it in North or South or Central America, the same experience can be described in different symbols that reflect the environment that is in. And that's the beauty. So the reason why I always love it, besides that powerful history, it just happens to be the prayer my grandmother loved. And usually that's the first language we have in finding that communion with life, divinity, if we wanna use that word, with God, with a great spirit. And we have that, you know, it's, it's different symbols, which we call religions, or spirituality, or just simple ceremony. And it's gonna be different for all of us. I don't know what that Native American chant means, but I remember my grandmother's smile whenever we would sing it with her and how loud it would get when the whole room will start singing it and chanting it and go that rhythm and the prayer will just become alive and the whole room becomes alive. Both prayers have that same effect on me. And that's the reason why I love it. It's a, it's a reminder of her voice. Amazing. All of that was very beautifully said. I, the first question I'm curious about is, do you know how old the Toltec teachings are? Well, you have to, you have to break it down. It's, uh, 
it's as old as our civilization in Mesoamerica. You know, Teotihuacan was constructed at about 100 or 200 years before Christ and had its apex around four to 500 years after Christ. And it ceased to function as a city. It was abandoned somewhere around 700 to 800 after Christ. It was, uh, by the time the Aztecs showed up there, it was already uh, ruins. It was already an abandoned city, like a good seven to 800 years. We don't know the original name of the Teotihuacanos. The Aztecs named them Teotihuacan, which means the place where the man becomes God. And like the Olmecs before, because you can say the oldest civilization in Mexico is the Olmec. And there's two Olmecs, of course. One that's the one that I'm talking about is the one in Veracruz. And they call them Olmec, whether they're Olmec or not, we don't know. They're the ones with the giant heads that were created in the swamplands of Veracruz. When they ceased to exist, a lot of other cultures around declared themselves the descendants of that tradition. Among them is the Toltecs, the Teotihuacanos. When the Teotihuacan fell, the Toltecs were also saying, well, we're all descendants of the, of the Teotihuacanos. At the same time as the, Toltec, uh, the Teotihuacan existed, there was the Maya, Teotihuacan, and Motalban, the Zapotecs on the, to the south. Those were the, the, the contemporaries, the, the, three con the three civilizations that ruled in that day and age. Once Teotihuacan ceased to exist, the Toltec created their civilization in Tula and they continue the tradition. The word Toltec means artist in English. That's what the word means. So as a civilization, they existed after the fall of Teotihuacan and they moved several times across the Valley of Mexico until the Mexica arrived from the north and at first they were the, the hired warriors, kind of like the nomadic, uh, I would say, what's the word I'm looking for? The hired guns, the mercenaries. You know, they, were, they, they became part of the Toltec's uh, army and then eventually they betrayed each other, as sometimes that happens. And the Toltec and the Aztecs went to war the Aztecs won to a certain point. They created the Tenochtitlan and we created the Great Empire. The Aztec and the Mexica are, are the Mexica are part of a triple alliance with uh, Santos and um, Lascala. I think I remember that. So, anyways, it's either at that moment where the Toltecs cease to exist as a civilization, or with the expansion of the uh, the Spanish Empire. Whatever it is, over 500 years ago, that civilization ceased to exist. And that's when the tradition turned into what we know as oral tradition. When you lose the center of uh, any civilization, it, it becomes into an oral tradition or a different philosophy different communities will teach it in their own unique way. There's communities in Mexico that teach the Totec tradition exactly as it was over 500 years ago. And then there's families and, uh, and towns and communities that change with every generation, which is our family. Like my grandma would say to us, if you practice the Totec tradition the way I do it or your father does it, you're killing the tradition. The way you keep it alive is by putting it into practice in your everyday. And that practice gives it and changes it again. So at that point, we're not talking about Toltec as the archaeological historical sense. We're talking about Toltec as an artist. Where the canvas for a work of art is my own life. And the instrument by which I create that art is my body, is my mind, my intent, by which I create the life I want to create. So at that point, it's less about archaeology. It's more about a philosophy, an oral tradition that gets shared from one generation 
to another. Don Ezekiel, my great-grandfather, my grandmother's grandfather, was the one who says we are Toltec. If there's one to blame, it's him. And we don't know the name of his father. That's something that happens in history. Don Ezekiel was born somewhere in the 1830s. He lived to be 116 years of age. His son, one of his sons that became my great-grandfather was born in 1883, and his name was Don Leonardo. Don Leonardo lived to be 98 years old. So he was born in, somewhere in 1883, and my grandmother, Maria Sarita, was born in 1910. And she lived to be 98 years old, and her son, who, who was my father, he was born in 1952. So there's a good space between births, between Don Ezequiel and the Leonardo, 1830s to 1880s. That's 50 years, roughly. Don, Don, Ezequiel, Don Leonardo to Grandma Sarita, that's uh, seven, 27 years of difference there. Then from Maria Sarita to my father, that's 42 years of life. And then the shortest one is me with my father being, 20, I was 23 years old. Uh, my dad was 23 years old when I was born. I, I was 1975. So you can say that with each generation, the gap narrowed until the modern day age. But in those, each decade, Don Ezequiel taught, you can say he's the very first Mexican in the family. And the reason why I say he's the first Mexican is that he was born after the independence of Mexico. I still don't know what they call the people before the independence of Mexico because they lived in the Nueva España. They were, part, they were part of the kingdom of Spain. So I don't know what their citizenship would be called. Right now we call them Mexicans because what, 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 what did they call themselves back then? Don, Don Leonardo was born during the Porfirieto, during the, the dictatorship of Porfirio Diaz, and he saw Mexico through that experience. My grandma was born in 1910, which is the first year of the Mexican Revolution. And her life was always post the Mexican Revolution and the second constitution of Mexico. My father was born in the 1950s and he was raised in the 50s and the 60s. He is the son of that civilization. And me and my brother, I was born in 1975, but we are kids of the 80s and 90s. You know, we listened to the Peshmod, the Cure, the Smith. My father listened to uh, the Beatles and Elvis Presley. My grandmother listened to Rancheras, and he loved, loved. Um, it's not unusual to be one with anyone. Tom, Tom, Tom Jones. She loved Tom Jones. She just, she thought he was the man. And each one, you know. Anyways, going back to it. The Toltec tradition in our family changed with each generation. You know, where Maria Sarita, the Mexican Revolution, painted her, her reality. She practiced her tradition in that way. But by the time she wanted to teach the fam family, she didn't have the taboo that stopped her father and her grandfather from teaching it outside the family. Because by Don Ezequiel's time, even though the Holy Inquisition was no longer around with the, its power that it had pre-colonial days, it was still taboo to teach anything outside the Totec tradition. In fact, it was kind of taboo to call La Virgen de Guadalupe, de Guadalupe Tonatzin. To call her Tonatzin was taboo. You know, it, it's, it, you don't do that. You, you might get punished by that. But by the time my grandma Sarita came around, she wasn't gonna stop, let that taboo stop her from teaching the tradition and she shared it with everyone. She is the first member of this family to share the tradition with people outside of the family. When people say that I'm walking in my father's footsteps, I'm sorry, I'm to correct you, my father, myself, and my brother Jose, all three of us are continuing with my grandmother Sarita started to share the tradition with everyone. 
because her father and her grandfather maybe only shared it with three or four people, maybe five. My grandmother decided to share with everyone. And in a year before her death, she was inducted into the San Diego Women's Hall of Fame. The city of San Diego honored her for keeping the tradition alive. That's how far she went. So from that point of view, the tradition I share, you know, when I sometimes when I teach things, I can hear, I can start distinguishing what came from Don Leonardo, what came from Don Ezequiel, what came from my grandma Sarita, what definitely came from my father. When I talk about the four agreements, Papa, you know, but someone explain, explaining some of those agreements, I can hear Don Ezequiel, I can hear Don Leonardo because of their nature. Don Ezequiel was a trickster. He was, you know, the, the classical image of what a Nawal or shaman is. Don Leonardo was a military man. He was a soldier. And during this, this Mexican Revolution, so you can already tell what kind of discipline he had. And then my grandmother was a faith healer. And my father was a retired neurosurgeon. All of them teaching in their own unique way. And the beautiful thing is that because of my grandmother's faith in herself, she didn't let those things stop her. She continued. And she didn't, the fact that she didn't know any English didn't stop her from sharing the tradition with everyone. And it didn't stop the community of San Diego in honoring her, even though she didn't speak any English. She died a U.S. citizen, but her heart was always her own. And that's what we share. <laughs> that was a long, that's a long story. Oh, man. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'm, I'm so glad you shared it. It's so great to know that background. And, and in sharing that, I feel like I, I understand where you're coming from way more. And it's just so beautiful. Um, one of the things that I learned from David Lombear, who's a Mi'kmaq, is that uh, the Mi'kmaq are a matriarchy and that it's the women that kind of um, have more of the power or the say. And, you know, I think of just one of the things that I really liked from studying the native traditions is their respect for elders and how that wisdom is passed down. And there's a lot of respect because, you know, there should be respect for somebody who's lived a lifetime and how they honor that. And it seems like you experienced that directly when you were sharing what it made me start to think about is I've studied a lot on ancient civilizations and you talked about, you know, being a conquered people, which is a huge bummer. And I just had, a, I did a native American panel a few weeks ago and I've been learning a lot more. And I think it's interesting, the idea of history and what, what is taught and what people believe is just something that has been told to you, but your history, I imagine is very different than maybe like a, a traditional Westerner. And I'm curious if you, um, know anything about or want to share about like Quetzalcoatl or you know even when you um Teotihuacan that's where that spaceman is it looks like a guy like an astronaut right he's there no, that's in that's in, in Yucatan oh isn't that Yucatan oh, okay that's in Yucatan. That's mine. Um, so I was curious okay but in in those in those like um pyramids does it talk about Anything like that? Like, what does your history say as far as that goes? Do they go into, like, star people and, and things like that? Is that something that's relevant? Or, um, like, what, what is it? Or like, what about Quetzalcoatl? Like, what's his, what's his story? Do you know anything about all those things? Well, the feathered serpent, you can say it's the, it's the, it's the, the story I know. I know about Quetzalcoatl and Tezcatlipocatl. Tezcatlipocatl is the smoky mirror. Quetzalcoatl is the, the feathered serpent. He is the word that is the ground that ascends to the heavens and represents those winged. You know, it's the, it's the moment where the, he, the divinity, you can say the heavens and the earth meet, being the serpent that represents the ground and the wings that represent the air is the merger of the two. It's, it's you can say it's the father, uh, God. For many, many decades or centuries, it was believed that the principal God of, of Teotihuacan was Quetzalcoatl because his image is everywhere in, in, the, in Teotihuacan and Kulkulkan in Yucatan. It's basically Kulkulkan is Quetzalcoatl, but in Mayan, 
You know, it's the Mayan version of, of the truth. But as they excavated into the palace of Quetzalcoatl in Teotihuacan just a few years ago, they found this hole that goes underneath the pyramid of the moon. Sorry, sorry, pyramid of Quetzalcoatl. And there is three goddesses in a circle praying, looking upwards with a small miniature male next to them. So there's three goddesses or three mothers looking up what would be the middle of the Pyramid of Quetzalcoatl. It hadn't, it hadn't been tampered with because they just discovered it by accident and they sent a robot down there. They, in the tube that goes along, they have all this uh, mercury and all these things that if you go in there with torch, it looks like it's shining. It's like the stars. You're walking down and it's all these stars, all these things going down until you get to that room where there's the three goddess. So at that point, that just changed all the history we know about Teotihuacan. It changed all of it. The reason why I say that is because before we, we had that, all we had were the stories that the Aztecs told the Spanish about Teotihuacan. All we had before are the mythologies projected on, in fact, for example, the Avenue of the Dead in Teotihuacan is a name the Aztecs gave it because they thought that each one of those temples were uh, tombs of the kings. And it was a projection. Whether that's what it meant or not, we don't know. We don't know the original language. We don't know that. So you can say from that point of view, we don't know what the original story of Quetzalcoatl and Tezcatlipocatl is from the point of view of Teotihuacan and the mere fact that we dis they, dis they discovered, Unam discovered, that little chamber taught us that the main god of Teotihuacan is not Quetzalcoatl as we thought, but mother, the mother goddess. The only the goddess name we have is Tonatzin, but we don't know if that's Tonatzin that they're talking about there. So at that point, that's the beautiful thing about archaeology. You know, it's, it's kind of like it, it, we tried, they tried to describe, describe what it is. We know what concepts it is. We look for the, they look for the, the common ground, common denominator in order to describe or understand a language, but they still only have languages and legends and projected stories, which is what we know for all those times. Quetzalcoatl represents that place where heaven and earth meet, where a place where man becomes God, that's Teotihuacan. With this, it changes to that of the mother and service to mother. Whether that has anything to do with, uh, with extraterrestrial and all that, we don't know, of course, none of us know. But here's the thing. I'm going to quote my brother Jose. I was born in 1975. Anything before that is a story. In fact, everything since has been a story as well. The beautiful thing about that is that we continue to find the lessons and the histories of our ancestors. I recently read um, A Brief History of Time um, by, uh, oh man, I just forgot his name. Uh, he was in a wheelchair. Um, Hawkins? Yeah. Hawkins, Stephen Hawkins. Thank you so much. Man, I'm forgetting names here and there. <laughs> Sorry. Right. You're book, going deep in the history lessons. You're getting yeah. access in all the banks. Yeah, Stephen, <laughs> Stephen Hawkins says in that book something very beautiful. All these theories that he described about the universe and perception and time and the history of the universe have as much validity as someone saying that the earth sits on top of the back of a tortoise, which at one point people believed that, that, that the earth was 
sitting on top of a tortoise, a turtle. Both of them have equal ground because a theory, like a hypothesis, aren't the truth. They're not the fact. The only difference is that one you create out of your imagination, the other one comes from a lot of study and you come close as much as you can to describing what happened. But since nobody was there, it's all up in our imagination. At that point, all the stories we have of Quetzalcoatl, all the stories we have of Tezcatlipocatl, of Tlaloc, of Huitzilopochtli, of Tonatzin, you can say are as varied or in different prisms as the Lord's Prayer that we talked about at the beginning of the show. Everyone will have their own interpretation and who knows which one is the truth. But what matters is what we use with that story for. If we use it to conquer, if we use it to mobilize people, or if we use it to help us heal. And that's how we, my family has used it. We use the teaching of Quetzalcoatl, of Quetzalcoatl, as teachings, as lessons that allows us to heal. And that's what we've known Teotihuacan to be, a two-headed serpent, one head at the plaza of Quetzalcoatl that represents hell, and the other head at the plaza of the moon, which represents heaven. And the avenue of the dead represents every stage in our own personal journey to hell and back again to our divinity and the duality of the two. Amazing. I love that summary. And uh, I, I looked up the book, Stephen Hawking. That's what it was. I was like, cause there's also Hawkins. I think it's like Richard Hawkins or David Hawkins wrote some very interesting books, power versus force and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to correct myself on that. Um, well, I want, go ahead. Oh, Stephen Hawking. Yeah. Yeah. Stephen Hawking. Yeah. Um, I, so I want to switch gears. We probably don't have too much time left because I want to let you go. Um, but I talked to you all day. I didn't expect a history lesson, but you're a great guy to ask. And um, it's awesome. And I, there's a lot of more questions. I'd love to go down that rabbit hole. But just uh, for, for another direction I wanted to take it before I let you go is, you know, you've written a lot of books on personal development. You've watched uh, spirituality or whatever category you want to call it. You've been walking the path your whole life. And staying on it, you know, and, and now I don't know if you notice this, but I noticed it was good that, uh, let's say, consciousness and personal development and, and spiritual evolution seems to be becoming a little bit more popular. Um, mm-hmm. We've got the new age thing going on um, with all that stuff. Some of it may not be as useful or as effective as other ideas, which is okay. Um, and I was just curious, in your own words, if you could speak about like, what do you define or believe awakening is how can one awaken if the, if it's possible and then this is the hardest one i think is how can they stay on that path where it you know they continue on that connected line for a lifetime and you know we've i've only been aware of your work for maybe five ten years or something and then having you on the podcast and watching it a little bit closer but even when i originally invited you you could see that it was like you're not a tourist in what you're trying to do and it's like this evolution of learning of growth of contribution in a direction that you have meaning for that you're going to stay on and i think that's part of it is being able to stay on a path that has meaning for that individual in their own interpretation and i was wondering if you could speak about those things well thank you there's a there's a lot you know (laughs) when do you know you're awakened That's the beautiful thing about our humanity that we live in right now. We can learn from all the elders in different parts of the world. We can learn from the elders of the Aboriginal people in Australia. We can learn from the elders in Vietnam and China and Indochina and in Taiwan and in India and in the Middle East and Africa and in in the Mediterranean and the North and the, you know, it's of the Native American in the North and the South. And everywhere in between, we can learn, you know, even pay attention to the animals and all that kind of thing. We, we're in a time where, unlike 
when I was a teenager where you have to always look for it everywhere. It was like a sacred cow or, or, or something that you always have to look for in a, in a, in a, in a secret bookstore or something like that. It's a, in a mythical, in a, what's the, what's the story? Um, Alice in Wonderland or something? No, <laughs> in a, in a, the word I'm looking for is a, a form of school. I'm trying to remember what my father, how, what uh, a mystery school. Mm. You know, all the mystery schools, basically all the all the all the information that can be decoded underneath, kind of like Guadalupe with Donatzin. We live in an age where that's no longer so secretive. All you have to do is just keep looking for it, and you will find it. You you will find misinformation a lot of it fake news as the word that is popular now but you will also find the truth and you'll find the truth in the common denominator between all of it the the, the part that connects all of it that's the truth everything that goes around it gets distorted okay to have an awakened moment is like a, a drug addict and an alcoholic that all of a sudden wakes up from their stupor that wakes up from, you know, wakes up from a night of partying, a night of, of debauchery. And you say, what have I done? You see everything that's happened. You see how your body feels. And it's the first realization of what you've done to your body. At that moment, you have a choice to continue or to let it go. If you choose to continue, there's the hair of the dog and drink another beer, take another pill and you don't have to feel this hangover. But if you choose in that moment to change direction, then that's when a moment of clarity becomes a pivotal moment in our life. If you choose to continue, then a moment of clarity was just a thought that passes in the wind because there was no action. But a moment of clarity, when you make the choice to change direction, that's the awoken moment. The moment when you realize, I can change direction. I don't have to follow this pattern, this direction that I've been leading that has kept me blind for all so many times. I can change direction. And the beautiful thing at that point is that all these beautiful traditions are there to help us. Of course, when we're completely in our drunkenness, in our attachment to our beliefs, we will corrupt all of them. It's kind of like with the four agreements. If you use the four agreements to domesticate yourself, to attach yourself to the four agreements, then the four agreements turns into the four conditions. And you can't tell the difference between the four agreements and the four conditions. The four conditions, the telltale sign that you use the four, four conditions is judging yourself for taking things personal, judging yourself for making assumptions, judging yourself for taking things personal and not being impeccable with the word. Every time you judge yourself, it's basically you're judging yourself because you don't live up to an image that you say you're worthy of love. And you punish yourself because you don't live up to that expectation. And because you have that for yourself, you're gonna punish everyone else. I only hang out with people who are impeccable with their own words. You didn't read the book, you're making assumptions. At that moment when we're judging other people for not living up to the image of the four agreements, we're actually practicing the four conditions. We're calling it the four agreements only because we don't know the difference. But then one day you'll wake up and all of a sudden become aware of the difference between practicing the four conditions and what the four agreements really are. At that moment, the four agreements, the word agreement is the action of saying yes to something. That's what an agreement is, the action of saying yes. I say yes to not taking things personal. I say yes to not making an assumption. I say yes to being impeccable with my word. I say yes to always do my best. It's a choice. And I love myself whether or not I take things personal or not, or being a puck with the word or not. I accept 
that I have a choice, where the four conditions, I don't have a choice. And there's the difference. When you wake up is the moment you realize the difference between the two and you begin to apply that with everything else and realize how you do the same thing with Catholicism, with Buddhism, with spirituality, with, with Islam, with psychology, with psychiatry, with Alcoholics Anonymous, all the beautiful traditions that humanity has created to let go of conditional love and embrace unconditional love have always been about that. But we're so attached to our domestication, our conditioning, that we will corrupt all of them. And there's that little snake corrupting knowledge in the tree of knowledge. The tree of life and the tree of knowledge. The moment you tell the difference between the two is the moment you can say you have awakening or you have enlightenment. But it's the moment where you reclaim your personal freedom and you respect yourself to experience the consequences of your own choices. Nobody else is responsible for your will. Nobody else is responsible for your consequences. You are and you respect yourself to experience both, just as you respect other people to experience their own. But it all comes down by knowing the difference between the four conditions and the four agreements. Translate that to other things in your life, and you'll know the difference. The telltale sign that we're corrupting our tradition is judging ourselves for not living up to that expectation. But when we apply it, it's by choice. I choose not to take things personal. I don't pretend to be a man who doesn't. My name is Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. And I do take things personal. I do make assumptions. Sometimes I'm not impeccable with the word and sometimes I don't do my best. Just ask my wife. She's my witness. And that's when you wake, when you stop pretending to be something you are not for the sake of someone else's opinion including your own, and you accept yourself as you are. I am me. That's amazing. Those distinctions are incredibly powerful, and I think that a lot of people are going to let those sink in and, and have a, a deeper understanding of what it actually means to walk a spiritual path or look for ways that can support our own understanding and our own philosophies for how we navigate life, how we connect with spirit or creator or God of the universe and how that there are powerful teachings in all schools, all traditions, all religions, all practices, and you can definitely frig them up too. Uh, so very, very well said. I could definitely talk to you all day and I'd love to fire a million different questions at you. Um, but what I'll ask is, is there anything that you want to touch on before we close it up? Or is there anything that you wish that we had talked about? Oh, there's so much we can talk about. I'm just glad that we had the chance to talk. So the only thing I just want to tell people is just to enjoy being yourself, enjoy life, enjoy every relationship. Everything in life ends, so enjoy it while we're here. Don't take someone for granted. Don't take yourself for granted. Enjoy the relationship. Enjoy being alive. Enjoy being part of this community. And I wish you all the best. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, there's there's so many things we could talk about. And you you just released a new... How, when did that book come, come out? Um, the Seven... Seven Secrets of Happy, Healthy Relationships. We didn't that even touch on it. Year, <laughs> we'll have to, we have to do another one. You come back and just talk about that. Anytime. <laughs> I'm here. Cool. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I think that that's important too. That's actually been coming up a lot in the podcast is just the word relationship. Um, but thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you and, and what you do. Um, where can people find more about you if they want to dive deeper into your work, if they want to check out some of the amazing books you're putting out there, uh, where do they go? They can go to our website, miguelruiz.com. And that's my father's website. And it's basically the family. I have my own, of course, which is miguelruizjr.com. That's my own personal. So that's, those are our base. We are on face, social media, of course, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all that kind of thing. But our home base is our website. Awesome. 
Well, thank you for coming back on the show again. Thank you for continuing to walk the path and and sharing and and doing your amazing work. I appreciate uh, everything that you do and share. And I look forward to having a future conversation. I look forward to it. and I look forward to hanging out with you again, Matt. And congratulations once again to the success of your podcast. May you continue to enjoy even more. Uh, Thank you. All right. Well, thanks, guys, for listening. Thanks for coming on. We'll see you in the next episode. Peace. There it is, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely phenomenal Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. It is always a treat to sit down and speak with him. He was literally episode number two of the podcast, which is actually episode number one because the first one was with my friend Anders Peterson. Shout out, buddy. Um, And uh, yeah, when he was on there, like I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, this guy's not going to come on. I don't even really have a podcast. So um, he was one of those spiritual universal signals that said, okay, uh, you're going to do a podcast because he is accepted and you're going to have this conversation and that was always the intention having meaningful conversations with people who are walking the path who are doing the work who want to make a positive difference in the world who are learning things in personal development spirituality um, planetary good and and share them with others so I'm doing the best that I can to find these people if you have any suggestions please let me know and uh, I'm just grateful that you are here listening sending you all of my love and appreciation through the airwaves if you want to support the show please do that because it helps immensely it's a ton of ton of work and it really requires um, the listeners to share and do these things like leave a review in itunes become a patron go to patreon.com forward slash matt belair um, join the academy check it out at mattbelair.com you'll find a link for the academy and uh, all of it and share episodes share on instagram share as much as you can because that's the only thing that gets the word out there there are so many podcasts out there and they're all amazing and if this one is good and it resonates or even it's just this episode please share it because that is really the thing that gets the word out there and it helps so much so thank you so much for listening to this show i am so grateful for you and i wish you an amazing day let's come to a state of peace and coherence before we close it out Just taking a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath. And just let it out slowly, filling every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being with joy, peace, contentment, inspiration, self-worth, love, and excitement. Ready to take on the rest of the day. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.